From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we're looking through uh, what we call our covenant wheel. It's our core convictions as a church. It's, it's our membership covenant. It's, it's what we really ask every member to agree to. It's very foundational to who we are as a church. And if you've been with us for the last few months, um, we've made some progress in our exploration of the covenant wheel. We have come now to kind of the last major section um, of the covenant wheel, uh, the mission section. Of course, all of the all of the behaviors that we see that we've been looking at are built on the core convictions that we have. I'm struggling to get my thing to work here. Um, they're built on these core convictions that we have uh, to know the gospel, to love the kingdom, to really be the kingdom people of God. And um, let me start this over. I'm not going to rate it now. Okay, yeah, here we go. All right, to know the gospel, to be the, pink, the kingdom people of God, and to live out the mission of God, uh, to live this mission that we as Christ followers have been called to. You know, Jesus said something amazing. John 14, he, he said to his disciples, now he's going away from them and he's instructing them, he's giving them these instructions, and he said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, this is one of these amazing verses, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Okay, so part of what believing in Jesus, part of what following Jesus means is to do what he did, to, to, to be about the kind of mission that he was about. But then he says this, and this is the amazing part. He says, well, we'll do the works that I do, and greater works than these he or she will do, because I am going to the Father. Even greater works than Jesus. I mean, that's an amazing thing to believe, that, that we in Christ, the church, the hands and feet of Jesus, are called to be about doing this work of Jesus, this ministry of Jesus. And, and I think we understand that in, in just the macro level of the church. I mean, we, we are seeing the, the ministry impact of Jesus that he had when he came, which was relatively local in terms of its scope. Now we're seeing that ministry impact all over the world to all sorts of people, all the way over here to Atlanta, Georgia. The gospel has come, and now God is using us in the mission of Christ, in the way of Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so in this mission, we understand 
a few things. You know, first of all, we, we do understand we have this value of being kingdom ambassadors. We understand ourselves as representatives of Christ, obeying the great commandment of loving neighbor as we love ourselves, and obeying the great commission of making disciples of all nations. So over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about this, this section, these three rhythms uh, of the Christian life, a rhythm of personal evangelism, a rhythm of blessing our city, engaging with our city, a rhythm of reaching the world. How does that, how does that manifest itself in the Christian life? And we're going to talk about that over the next um, three weeks that we have together. And I'm very excited about this conversation. Now today, though, we're going to talk about personal evangelism. Now of all these behaviors, there are some that you might kind of resist. These are the commitments we asked you to make as members. There are some you might resist, like reading your Bible every day. That's a tough discipline, or reading your Bible on a regular basis. Now, you might, I say the word resist. It might be hard for you to have that discipline in your life, but you probably don't resist that. You know, it's, it's probably not something you're like, ugh. You know, you're probably like, I should be doing that. It's just hard to be disciplined to do it. Or, or giving money, being generous with your money. Again, you might resist that a little bit, but probably if you really thought about it, you'd say, you know what, God's given me so much, I, I should be more generous. You probably don't resist that, but evangelism is one that you might resist. And in fact, there was a recent Barna study that said 40% of evangelicals 40 and under, okay, so 40% of evangelicals 40 and under, which is a lot of our church, thinks that evangelism is wrong. It kind of feels imperialistic, right? I mean, it's like, I mean, my faith is very important to me, but do I really need to impose what I believe on somebody else? And beyond this, we've all probably had a couple of bad experiences with evangelism. Like we've all seen the megaphone guy at the football game. And, you know, you're thinking like, am I, am I, is that what I'm doing? Like, am I like that? And I would just say, you know, if you've seen that, that's, that's, I wouldn't even call that evangelism. That's kind of a weird works righteousness thing that's maybe not even Christianity in some senses, certainly not the way of Christ usually. But you've seen things like that. You've seen this done badly. And so it's like, if I, am I one of those? Am I, am I like that? Another hesitation I think that people have is just the nature of evangelism. I mean, we're talking about the most important thing, the most fundamental thing in your life. I mean, to to say I disagree with you on what the most fundamental thing in life is. I mean, at best, it could kind of create an uncomfortable conversation. At worst, it might hurt a relationship that you have with another person. So if these are kind of reasons against evangelism, uh, I think that it's important to talk about those. On the other side, though, evangelism is kind of unavoidable. I mean, it, it, we see this all throughout the Bible. We just read the Psalm 96. We just read all throughout the Bible, there's this refrain that we are to declare the goodness and the work of God. I mean, Psalm 96.3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Isaiah 12.4, we see this in the prophets. Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among all people. Proclaim that his name is exalted. And then, of course, the great commission of our Lord. I mean, the, the charge, the command of Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Romans 10, uh, there's this amazing little section about calling on the Lord, and we see in Romans 10, 14, how will they call upon the Lord 
It's all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call upon him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? They may say, aha, you're supposed to evangelize preacher, but not me. But the Greek there is not preacher preaching. It's kariso. It means to proclaim the, the, the things of the Lord. It's, it's, it's something that we're all called to do, to proclaim the gospel. How are people to hear the gospel without someone proclaiming the gospel is Paul's argument there. So it's kind of unavoidable. If we know God, we're certainly charged by Christ and we're called to talk about him. We're called to talk about the relationship we have with him. We're, supposed to, we're called to talk about the good news that he has done for us, the good things that he's done for us in Christ, this good news of the gospel that we're to proclaim it to the nations. And even though this may seem awkward to you, it's really not that awkward. In fact, I would say everyone here is a master evangelist. In fact, I know you are. I've seen you at it. Though sometimes you're not uh, sharing with me the good news of Jesus, you're sharing with me the good news of your all bird shoes and how light they are and how comfortable they are. Or maybe you're sharing with me the good news of East Pole coffee and how delicious the coffee is. Or sometimes you're sharing the good news of your favorite kind of pen. Personally, I'm a Pilot G2 guy. But, you know, you have other pins. In fact, I can't remember who it was, but someone of you just came to me and says, you got to use this pin, you know. <laughs> Repent and believe, you know. Uh, now, we, we do this, right? You, you, you're good evangelists. We, we, we like to talk about things that we like. We like to talk about things that are important to us. We, we study them. We get to know them. We we actually are pretty proficient in explaining why they may be the best. So we're, we're good at this. The question becomes is how do we do it, right? I mean, and that's really what I want to talk to you about today. It's, it, this is going to be a little, this is not our typical sermon. It's really meant to be less inspirational and, uh, and just more practical and helpful. It's a little more of a teaching session, but I just want to you know, I, I, it's kind of, we, we need a little more evangelism training here. And um, in fact, even after the, the first service, there were so many people that asked me questions. I was like, I just need a whole class on this. So this is a little bit of an introduction, as all of these sermons are. I do want to say that if you've been here over the nine weeks, everybody's like, I'd like to hear more on generosity. I'd like to hear more on relational discipleship. And so these are all just a bit of an introduction of, of things that we, we need to come back to again and again and again. But anyway, I want to talk about practically, how do you do this? And if you're like me, uh, I grew up in church, and I grew up in a very evangelistic church, and we had evangelistic training, but a lot of the training in the church, at least that I grew up with, was, it, it, it wouldn't really work these days. I mean, it, it, it kind of assumed that we were living in a Christian culture. So a lot of the techniques were, are really good if you're talking to somebody who maybe believes in God or is interested in things of God, um, like the Romans Road. Remember the Romans Road to Salvation? And again, the Romans Road is a great tool. So I, I, I'm not knocking the Romans Road. I love the Romans Road. But there's some things that are assumed if you, like the Romans Road usually begins with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? It's a great place to begin in an evangelistic conversation and leading someone to the problem of sin and, and the need that we have for God. But you, you, there's some assumptions that are made even to get into that verse that the person has to believe in God. <laughs> what if they don't believe in God? What if they don't believe in sin? I mean, a lot of people these days believe that sin is something that you know oppressive people came up with to use to manipulate others. What if they're of that mindset? Well, then it's going to be very hard to jump right into Romans 3.23. Or what if they believe in God, but they believe in a different God, not the God of Scripture? They don't trust 
the Bible. So there's got to be kind of a bigger idea here. And really what I want to do today is give you a bit of a template that I think you can use in any conversation. And I really mean this. This is a template that you can kind of use in any conversation. And it's a great way to study the Bible. It's a great way to think about the Bible. You can use it in studying the Bible with someone. You can use it just in general conversation. But it really gets to these big questions that I believe everyone has to answer. And, and it's the template, you, you see it around here all the time, we, certainly prominent in our children's ministry. It's the template of God, man, Jesus response. Now, if you're not a Christian, you say, well, that's not my template. Well, it really is. I mean, in a sense, we're saying ultimate things, God, what is ultimate in life? If you're not a Christian, you believe something is ultimate, so there's some meaning and purpose. You're probably not just a nihilist. So, Something that's ultimate. Man, what is our response to that? What is our relationship to that which is ultimate? Jesus, what is the answer? How should we be living? What is the answer? What is the cure, if you will, to the ills and evils of the world? And what is our response to that? God, man, Jesus response. And what I want to do today, and again, this is very practical, we're going to overlay this template. We're going to kind of use this template to discover truths from the passage we just looked at, 2 Corinthians 5, passage we've looked at many times here. But you can really do that with this with any scripture in the Bible. And also that these kind of blocks of conversation, they're just a great, they're just a great template to have in your mind as you're sharing your faith, as you're trying to live in an evangelistic way. It's, it's a great way to discern who am I talking to. So God, what do you believe about God? If you're sharing your faith with someone, this, this is an important starting spot. What do you believe about God? What do they believe about God? How do they understand God? And there's this great quote, A.W. Tozer. He says, the thing that comes to your mind, the thing that comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I really believe that. The first thing that comes to your mind, you know, whoever you are, the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Does he not exist? Well, that'll, that's very important. That'll define who you are. Do you love him? Well, that's very important. That'll define who you are. Is he a judge? Is he cruel? I mean, whatever it is, whatever that comes to your mind, whatever your relationship to God is, is the most important thing about you. So again, everybody has to start there. Is there a God? Is this world just material? Is, is there something beyond the material world? How did the material world get here? Is there some sort of universal right and wrong? Or is it just might makes right in the world? All of these are questions related to the existence of God. If there is a God, can we know him or her? Is he personal? Has God revealed himself in any way? And all of these are questions that, that we all have to answer. And again, the answer might be no. No, I don't believe in God. No, there's not a God. But, but everyone is confronted with these, um, with these questions. And, and here's kind of one of the things I really want you to take away. In sharing your faith, it's important to be able to answer people's questions. Okay, so you want to know your faith. It's important to be able to answer people's questions. But it's also really important, and I want you to hear this, to be able to question people's answers, okay? To be able to question people's answers. Everyone has a faith. Everybody you've ever interacted with, they believe in something. <laughs> they have answered. Now, they may not have thought about it that much. They may not have come to very good conclusions about these, but they're, they're, they're living based on some sort of worldview. They have, they have taken on some sort of worldview assumptions. 
And, and I would just encourage you, especially as believers here, if you're a believer here today and you're trying to share your faith with a friend, question their answers. Start there. In, in a sense, really the first step in evangelism is to deconstruct someone's faith. You're, you're deconstructing whatever faith they have that is in something other than what is real and what is ultimate, what is true, deconstructing somebody's false faith and then helping them reconstruct a biblical faith, reconstruct a faith that aligns with Christ. So more than just being able to answer people, people's questions, question their answers. And in my own personal experience, especially in talking to secular people, most secular people I talk to don't have as formed of a worldview as most Christian people I talk to. And one of the reasons for that is just practical. They don't spend an hour a week <laughs> talking about it. They're not reading a Bible every day. They're, they took a class in college. They, they put a few ideas together. And that's what they, the way they think the world is. Why do you believe that? How did you come to that conclusion? How do you know that God hasn't spoken to us? How do you know that we can't trust uh, the Bible? Most people don't have good answers to these questions. So in, in, in starting in these conversations... Rather than just trying to answer their questions, question their answers. And of course, it's also important to remember that different people you talk to are going to have different worldviews here. So if you're talking to a secular person that is rejecting a Christian or moralistic kind of background, and I have friends like that that maybe grew up in a kind of a Christian or moralistic kind of home, and they're rejecting that in their secularism, their kind of secularism is different than the person that I would say has never, uh, you know, never very much been exposed to Christianity. It's a, it's, a, it's a very different, it's a reactionary kind of secularism. It's very different than, I would say, kind of a received secularism. Or maybe they're coming from a different religion. If they're Jewish or Muslim or Hindu, obviously they're going to have different answers about who God is. Of course, there are some people that may profess Christianity, but they're not really following him. They're not really Christians. They're not really following Jesus. Okay, well, that's a great question to ask somebody. Okay, if you, if you say you believe in Jesus, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus that you say you believe in? So again, before answering their questions, question their answers. See where they are coming from. And then it's such a great practice, again, and this is really what I want to model to you today, to just go to the text. So again, using this outline, what does this tell us about God? What does this text tell us about God? Well, okay, verse 18 seems to say all of this is from God. <laughs> okay, so all of this is from God. God seems to have power and authority over all things. Uh, verse 19, we see that God was reconciling the world to himself, that God has this ministry of reconciliation that he is about. We see here in verse 20 that God is making an appeal to us through us, through, through followers of Jesus. Okay, so God is making an appeal for people to follow him. We see in verse 21 that we can actually become the righteousness of God. So a right standing with God is attainable here. So even just asking a question, what does this tell us about God? There's a lot to be drawn out of this text and of any text. Again, you can do this with any text of scripture. And of course, in the rest of the Bible, we understand we have a theology of God. We put all that we see in Scripture about God together, and we understand that he's a supreme being with no beginning and end, that he has all authority and power and knowledge and goodness, that he exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's existed that way forever. He's created all things, created all things by the word of his power, all things in heaven, on earth, under the earth, that we're all dependent on him, 
We know in scripture that he's spoken, that he's revealed himself, and that we can trust it, that this breathed out word is reliable, that teaches about his character. And of course, we know that he's made himself known in the person of Jesus. So the first step in evangelism, you have to answer the big question about God. But secondly, we, we have to say, well, how do we relate to God? How, how, do human, how, do, how does humanity relate to this? Who is man? Now, we live in a secular age. And again, you've heard me talk about this before. This is the anthem of the secular age, the old Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie song, we are the world, right? We are the world. This is humanism, right? We are the children. We're the ones that are going to make a brighter day. So let's start giving. We're, there's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. And I really believe most people operate this way in a, in a secular age. They, they operate with this self-determined kind of way. We have to have a standard. We have to follow our way. We make a path for ourselves. Now, the great flaw of humanism, the great flaw of the age that we're in, and that, that most people in this age fail to realize, is that we, we, we can't live up to our own standard. <laughs> we're so self-determined. We, we have so much confidence in ourselves, yet none of us can actually live up to our own standards. You know, Francis Schaeffer you know, famously said that all God would have to do to condemn us is to hang a tape recorder around our neck that only taped the judgments that we made, okay, or a voice recorder, whatever it is, that only taped the judgments we made. So all the times that you have ever said, he shouldn't be doing that, or I can't believe that anyone would do a thing like that, or how dare someone do something like that. All God would have to do is at the judgment, play back for us in our own voice all the judgments that we made against other people. And guess what? No one would stand up to their own judgments. No one would stand up to their own assessments. This is the problem. This is a great flaw of humanism. We, we think we're so enlightened. We think we're so special. We can't even live up to our own enlightenment. We can't even live up to our own standard. And again, this is a great problem that we all have. We, we have this problem of worship. You know, I, some of y'all heard me talk about this too, and a lot of things I'm saying here, I've said before, just because I, I want this to be a practical sermon for you. I want you to use this stuff. Um, but you know, a lot of you have heard me talk about how I, I really believe that our first thought, our, our the, most, the first thought that you have as a human being is flawed. You say, what does that mean? Well, there is this idea of self-awareness. You are aware of yourself, right? This is you've studied philosophy, this is Descartes, right? I think, therefore, I am. I, I am self-aware. And actually, that, that, as simple as it seems, is actually evidence of your own sinfulness. I really believe that in the very beginning, we were more aware of God than we were of ourselves. That's our created state. We were created for God to be ultimately aware of God. And again, the reason I believe this, we have there's a clue in Scripture that the man and the woman were naked and they didn't even know it, right? How unself-aware do you have to be to be naked and not realize that you're naked? But they, they didn't know that they were naked. They were worshiping God. They were aware of God. They weren't aware of themselves. They weren't thinking about themselves. They were thinking about God. They were living for his purposes. They were trying to obey him. They were trying to follow after his glory. And really what sin does is it takes all of that impulse that is rightly toward God and toward his created order, and it curves it back in on the self. That's really the problem of sin. You know, Martin Luther described the state of man. Uh, I, I, I love the Latin. He, he, he described it in Latin as incurvatus in se. 
incurvatus in se. I, I like that because it really, it's a great descriptor. It's, it's the impulses of man they're going out, right? We're created to worship God. We're created for the good of others. We're created to live our lives for the glory of God. But what do we do? It's in curvata sensei. We curve it back in on ourselves. We, we take all of those impulses and all of that worship and all of that desire, and we say, it's all for me. This is the human condition. And of course, we see some of this in the text. We can look at man through the lens of this text. We regard Things according to the flesh. We are driven by the flesh. There is this old man, right? The old has passed away. What is the old man? So again, what is is that in us that needs to be passed away? Obviously, we see here that we need to be reconciled to God. God is reconciling us to himself. So why are we in need of all this reconciliation with God? Of course, uh, uh, we go on to see that the answer there, that God provides an answer there, but I think this is, uh, oh, not counting our trespass. That's where I was gonna look. Uh, not counting our trespass. So there's trespasses in us against us. So again, we can look at the text and answer a lot of the questions about man. There's, there's trespasses in us. We need to be reconciled to God. We're, we're focused on the flesh. So there must be an answer to that. And of course, that gets us to the answer. If we've been broken away from God, if we were made for God, but broken away from God in our sin, and if there's an answer for that in the person of Jesus. Now, a lot of people that you're going to be sharing your faith with will have some sort of answer about Jesus. They'll say that Jesus is something. I mean, they'll have some idea on who Jesus was. And it's interesting, there's not a lot of people that have a lot of bad things to say about Jesus. People have a lot of bad things to say about Christians. People have a lot of bad things to say about you know, evangelicals or church people or Baptists or whatever, but most people talk pretty positively about the person of Jesus. But, but, but how are they talking about him? Some people, of course, see Jesus as a good moral teacher or a great spiritual leader. And, and this is where I think the, the old uh, Josh McDowell liar, lunatic Lord is, is really helpful <laughs> Jesus was a good moral teacher. He was a spiritual leader, but he claimed to be so much more than that. I mean, this guy said he could forgive sins. Who says that? What what great, if there was a good moral teacher and they started saying, I can forgive sins, what would you think about that? Or if there was a good moral teacher and they started receiving worship, Jesus received worship from people. Jesus said that he was one with God. Jesus said that he was going to be killed and raised again. (laughs) What good moral teacher makes claims like this, right? So if you really consider what Jesus actually said about himself, at, at best, he was just a lunatic. He was just a crazy man. And at worst, he was a, receiving, a deceiving liar. Or else, of course, he was Lord. These things were true about him. And of course, uh, other people say things that are salvific about Jesus. I had a guy come up to me one time, and he said, you know, I have been saying... I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins my entire life, but I have no idea what that means. How does this man that died 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross have anything to do with me today? Well, that's a great question. I think there's a lot of people that have lived around Christianity for a long time that have those same kind of thoughts. And again, that's where going into the scripture and asking questions about Jesus is really, really helpful. So from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, 
So we know here that Christ is something more than flesh because we regard him thus no longer. Of course, we can look and see the ministry of Jesus in verse 18, that through Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So it's Christ that is bringing us into a right relationship with God. It tells us that, verse 19, what a powerful verse. In Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them. So we, we learn here that our trespass is not counted against us because, I guess, it was, it was counted against Jesus. And then, of course, we can look at verse 21. How did God do this? How did God make this happen? Well, of course, we see here that God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So again, using this template, God made Jesus, you can use any text to just help people understand, okay, what does this tell us about Jesus? How can we know Jesus? You know, Martin Luther used this text and others like it to talk about the gospel in this very simple way, that the great exchange, this idea of justification, how are we made right before God? Because you see, we have... Our sins, we've curved in on ourselves. We have sinned. And man plus sin equals punishment. We deserve to be punished. God is just. We, we deserve to be put out from God. Of course, Jesus, when he came to live, he knew no sin. He lived a righteous life. He always did what the Father desired. And what he deserved was reward. But of course, the good news of the gospel, the way that we are reconciled to God is that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin. He took our record of sin. And on the cross, this is the answer to the guy's question, what does Jesus dying on a cross 2,000 years ago have to do anything with me? On the cross, Jesus took on our sin. He, he, he was punished on our behalf. And it wasn't just Roman punishment. It was the punishment of God. The, God's justice against our sinfulness was dealt with in Jesus on the cross. Jesus died in our place. He, he exchanged places with us. He took on our record of sin, and in exchange for that, by faith, he gives us his righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become righteous. In him we might become the righteousness of God, receiving his reward. This is how God in Christ was reconciling the world back to himself. Do you realize this good news of salvation? That in Jesus, through faith in Jesus, you can receive a right standing with God. Not based on your effort, not based on your, anything good you've done or anything bad you've done, but based on the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Not, I hate to, keep, hate to keep quoting Luther here, but Luther talked about the alien righteousness of Christ, a righteousness that is not your own. Paul talks about it as now a righteousness has been revealed, God's righteousness, and it can be yours through the ministry of Jesus. Don't you see this good news? So as we're sharing our faith, if you're a believer here, if you're not a believer here, I hope you're hearing this. If you are a believer here, this is a very simple way to share this good news of the reconciling work of Jesus. And of course, that leads us to response, <laughs> How do we respond to this? How do we rightly respond to this? And of course, there must be a response. Now, some people will say, well, okay, 
You need to live a good life. You need to do something moral. Or maybe they'll say you need to um, do some sort of sacrament. You know, you need to walk an aisle or pray a prayer. Do something like that. But of course, we see the response in this text here. Again, going to the text, it's simple. It just says, <laughs> "Be reconciled to God." We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. <laughs> be reconciled to God. Believe these things. Believe what Jesus, for our sake, all of this is from God. Be reconciled to God. And of course, the simple way, the simple response that we see in Scripture is just repentance and faith. <laughs> As we see these things that are true about Jesus, we turn from our sin, we turn from the things that we know are displeasing to the Lord. We turn toward the Lord through faith in Jesus, in the reconciling work of Jesus, by the righteousness of Jesus, knowing that God receives us as he receives his own son in Jesus. Repentance and faith. In the same way, if you were reconciled to someone, if you had sinned against someone and you needed to be reconciled with them, it's, it's obvious that you would quit doing the thing that was causing the division. And that you would turn to them, you would receive their forgiveness. That's what it means to be reconciled to God. And of course, there's more of a response because also in Christ, as we are reconciled, we are, as we read in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, right? We're, we're turning away from our old life. The new has come. God is creating us this new life, this new righteous life in Jesus. And then of course, <laughs> We get back to what we're talking about today. God has reconciled us to himself and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the great privilege of those who have been reconciled to God in Christ. And I hope you receive this. I hope you receive it as a privilege. I mean, how, how amazing is it? Those who have, who have been reconciled are called to be about the reconciling work. God's asked us, as I said before, to now be the hands and feet of Jesus that you will do the work of Jesus. You will do even greater things than Jesus. What a privilege it is that God has given us to be able to introduce the world to this good news in Christ. And so I ask you to take hold of this, to make this a rhythm in your life. Now, a couple things just as we close. There's so much more I could say about this. But just a few words. First of all, this, this could take some time. <laughs> Um, I think we'll put it up here. This will take some time. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever had a conversation with someone that was just totally an unbeliever and in, you know, one 30-minute conversation, I got them to where they're a faithful follower of Jesus. Now, usually that takes place over a long period of time. It takes place over time. And so I just encourage you in that. If you have a friend or a family member, just keep nudging them toward the Lord. Uh, maybe the, the great step that they could take is going from not believing in God to maybe believing that there is a God or believing that there is no way to know God to maybe considering that God has spoken to us in Scripture or maybe believing that there is no God and maybe saying, you know, maybe Jesus is real. Maybe I should go to a worship service and see what the fuss is all about. Maybe some of you are here today because of an invitation just like that. You know, the other day I had a conversation with a woman and she was saying to me, you know, I, I'm not a Christian. I, 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 grew, I was raised that way, but I don't believe it. it it's, it's wrong. And I said, well, well tell me, what, what is it that you don't believe? <laughs> what is it that you're rejecting? And she shared some things 
about what she believed. And I said, well, I don't believe that either. You know? But what you're rejecting is not Christianity. What you're rejecting is some weird moralism. I was like, you need to read the Bible. You need to get to know Jesus. You need to get to see how he lived, what his message is really all about. And she came to me a few days later and said, well, congratulations, you got me reading the Bible now. Well, that's a great step. She's not a missionary in China, you know, but she's taking a step toward, I believe, what will become repentance and faith, toward reconciliation to God, to knowing God. So it takes time. Number two, you know, a great method, and I've tried to show you this today, and again, I realize we need more training in this, but just a great method is just inviting someone and saying, hey, would you read a passage of Scripture with me? Would, could we take the next four weeks to read through the Gospel of John? Or could we take the next four weeks to just study, you know, the book of Romans together? Or to, uh, to maybe look at the book of Ephesians is a great place. So can we just take a couple of weeks and just read through a book of the Bible together and just talk about it? And when you do that, you, you can do the same exact thing. I mean, I'm telling you, every passage of Scripture, you can ask these four questions. What does it tell us about God? What does it tell us about ourselves? What does it tell us about Jesus and then now what? what, is it, what how should we respond to this? It's a very simple method. And, and I can't tell you how much fruit has come out of, of people I know that just have simply sat down with someone and have read the Bible with them. And even if the person has said, I don't know if I believe these things, that's okay. At least you're getting them in God's word. Hopefully they're hearing from the word of Christ. So great passage just to read scripture with someone. And, and I, I'll go ahead and tell you, people will do this. They will. I know that you think, well, I don't know, that's kind of weird. If you just say, can we meet for coffee the next three or four weeks and read a book of the Bible together? Just trust me on this. They're going to say yes. They'll do it. All right, number three. Embrace the beautiful tension of Christianity. You got to understand this if you want to be a Christian. <laughs> There's tension in Christianity. In this text, what does it say? God has entrusted to you the ministry of reconciliation. But then what does it say? All of this is from God. God has entrusted to you the ministry of reconciliation. But all of this is from God. I love the beautiful tension of Christianity. Because yes, the Bible is all the time calling us to the work of Christ. It's all the time calling us to obedience. And what a privilege it is to get to work with the Lord. But here's the beautiful tension. All of this is from God. You know, God is reconciling the world to himself. It's God that's doing this. And if that's true, we can operate in these things with a lot of joy and a lot of freedom. You know how tense and frustrated and probably angry I would be all the time if I believed that the work of God was up to me? And I can, you know, some of y'all may be like, well, you're kind of tense and frustrated as it is. Well, that's because I lack faith. But no, I, I can actually rest. It can be free. I can have joy because, look, God is doing this work. He's just called me to obey. All, look, God has given you the ministry of reconciliation, but all of this is from God who's reconciling the world. So God is doing this work. So embrace this beautiful tension. You can be faithful to this command of the Lord in joy. I hope this is a rhythm in your life. I mean, this is a, something we ask for all of our members, that you would make a rhythm of this. And, and I, I hate to dictate how that looks in your life, 
You know, it could just be, man, I, I, I have a great workout group that I'm regularly looking for engagement with, or, you know, we're really involved in our school or our neighborhood or our workplace, or I try to take a guy in my office out to lunch, you know, once every other week. You know, personally, I, I, I and not to be like legalistic or whatever, but personally, I want to make sure that I've had a gospel conversation with an unbeliever at least twice a month. Uh, to me, it's like, if that hasn't happened in my life, and again, I'm a professional Christian, right? So, I should be doing this. But, but I also, you know, I don't get to work with a lot of unbelievers like you guys do. You know, everybody employed here is a Christian already. You know, I've tried to share my faith around the office. They're like, I already love Jesus, Jason. But anyway, <laughs> no, but I, I don't get as much contact. But for me, if I'm not, if I'm not sharing my faith with, with an unbeliever at least twice a month, I, I don't know that I'm really being obedient to the Great Commission in my life. And again, that's just me, but I would ask you, what is your rhythm in your life? It's a commitment that we have made, that we would be faithful in this as followers of Jesus. Here's the good news. All this is from God, who through Christ is reconciling the world to himself. And he's reconciled you, if you're in Christ, and me to himself in Jesus. Because he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He who knew no sin went to the cross and faced God's wrath on our behalf. So that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And if you believe that, if your life is anchored in that, you'll talk about it. (laughs) It's better than any shoe or coffee or pen. It changes your whole existence, your whole eternity. And so I want to celebrate that with you. Let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate what we believe in the taking of the Lord's Supper. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he he gave his disciples this very practical and tangible way to remember him. He took bread before them and he broke it and he said, remember this. This is my body that's given to you. And he took a cup after the meal. He said to them, remember this. This is my blood that's been shed to you. This is what I've given to you. This is this reconciling work of God. All of this is from God, who through Christ was reconciling the world to himself. And if you're in Christ today, then I invite you to the table to remember these things, to remember what Jesus has done for you, to remember the life that Jesus has called you to. Now, if you are a visitor here today, I, I, I'm really glad you're here. This, I hope this is very helpful. This is what we believe. This is what this is what's so important to our lives. But I would ask you if, you, if you're not following Jesus, if you wouldn't identify with Jesus, to not take this meal. This is for those who are identifying with Jesus. It's a sign that we are with the Lord. We've identified with him, that he is our Lord, that he is our Savior. And so if you're here, we're so glad you're here, but it, it's actually, it's disrespectful to us. It's disrespectful to God. It's actually disrespectful to yourself to take this meal in, in an unworthy way, in a, in a way that lacks the integrity of faith and belief. And so I would ask you to just refrain. You, you can certainly come up, observe what we're doing. I don't want you to feel awkward anyway, but don't. I would ask you to refrain from this meal. Maybe there's somebody here today and you, know, you haven't been walking with the Lord like you, you know is right and you've even felt some conviction. Maybe it's conviction over not sharing your faith not taking opportunity to share your faith the Lord has given you. Well, that's, you know what? Praise God. There's, there's grace at the cross. And so I, I invite you as you come today to take this as just an act of repentance and an act of renewed faith in Jesus. You'd follow him more faithfully. 
So as we sing, our deacons will be here to serve. I invite you to come and stand.